Okay, and then Megan talks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Megan. I have a lot of opinions too. I'm on mute. Let me tell you. <laughs> First five minutes of whatever she says is just her mouth moving, and we're going, Megan, you're on mute. Oh, goodness. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of one and a certified Montessori lower and upper elementary teacher. So that's ages six through 12. I'm here with Rachel, mother of two, with her Montessori infant toddler certification. That's ages birth through three years old. And Megan, also mother of two, with her Montessori certification in lower elementary ages six through nine. And in case you haven't been listening, she is quite actively working on her children's house certification. So that's three through six. All right. So let's start by catching up. I feel like we haven't, I mean, we haven't all three of us met in forever. So what has everyone been up to? And maybe not in the last like forever, but like this week, (laughs) what has everyone been up to this week? Rachel, do you want to start? Yeah, I can go. It's good to be back with all three of us. That's exciting. Yeah. Summer has come to an end and we're back at school. So I'm not, I'm still on maternity leave and spending some time with baby girl, which is super nice, but also weird because my little boy goes and then like I'm still here and I see everybody but it's good the transition for him he's been excited but um, he's very tired so we have to get back to going to bed earlier and taking solid naps and all the things because last night was not fun with a lot of wake-ups and I still have a baby that's nursing in the middle of the night so it's just a lot but hey we're hanging in there so how are you what have you been up to well I also am super jazzed to say that school has started again not for me also and that has been interesting that's been an interesting mix of emotions so last week was the teacher work week and I thought I would have some serious FOMO just knowing that everyone was back but I didn't I was fine and I think that's because the work week is like grown-ups and meetings right like that's the worst part Part. No one, that's, that's not what we do it for. Nobody wants to go to that Exactly. Part. <laughs> so I was totally fine with being home for all that. But then as of a couple days ago when this week started and my child was able to go back like on day one because she's now the big kid in her toddler classroom, which is crazy. Which is crazy that we're here. How yeah. crazy is that? That's when I started to get the feels because as we walked up the sidewalk and I just saw like car after car, you know, families I know pulling up and kids getting out and I'm just like, oh my babies. I hope they're having a good first day. And so now I feel it a little bit. But it was honestly very much cushioned by the fact that my daughter was so, so happy to be back. I mean, literally like tap danced out the door all the way up the hill to her classroom and just charged in there and was like, see you, mom. So that is just the best feeling in the world. That feels good. Doesn't it? Yeah. We were all sharing messages that morning of them going to school. And I mean, he woke up just, I'm going to school. I'm going to school. Where's my back? Where's, I mean, just so stoked and ready. And like, yeah, it's bittersweet for summer to come to an end. I'm glad I didn't take him because like as he drives off going with my husband, I'm like bawling and I don't even know why because literally he was a hellion last week and I was like, oh my God, I cannot function with you at all. You need to go to school. <laughs> but he's he's so happy and he's thriving and I know she is too. So, you know, that's a big mom win right there. So as many other emotions as I've had being a former teacher walking back onto the campus for the first week of school, being a mom bringing my kid for a really happy, positive first week of school is just, just irreplaceable. I love it. Yeah. So just quick 
behind the scenes note, poor Megan, as soon as we did the intro, was summoned to her children's school because they have gone through all of the backup clean clothes that they have accessible for her daughter. So she had to do a quick run over to there to drop off some stuff. So I guess we just might as well move on to the topic. The topic. Yeah. So let's let's kick it back over to Rachel and Rachel can talk about what we're going to discuss today. So we're kind of going to step into risk and getting dirty and Maria's thoughts on that and kind of our take on that. So as a parent, one of our top priorities usually is keeping our children safe, right? The world we live in today has become very scary. And some days being a parent just seems somewhat heavy. So we go through life each and every day doing our best to make sure nothing happens to them. So this week, we are going to discuss something that may challenge you as a parent, and that is letting your child take a risk. So Maria Montessori found that children's best learning takes place through their senses and through their physical activity within their environment meaning through experiences they learn best. Some important experiences they learn and develop from are taking risk. Montessori said, only through freedom and environmental experience, it is practically possible for human development to occur. She found that through taking risks, children grow physically, mentally, and emotionally. So there are many risks we can let our children take, such as physical risk, like climbing on a structure that is challenging to them, taking risks that build self-confidence, such as ordering what they want at a restaurant and being brave in that way, and even encouraging your child to get dirty or play with the shaving cream if they are not so keen on the sensitive experiences. When children face challenges, they develop confidence, whether they conquer the challenge or not. Risk helps children build new skills. They help them to know their limits and be confident in their decision-making and help them become aware of their boundaries. So you might ask, what can we do as parents? What can we do as teachers and caregivers to help support them through this journey of taking risk? And how do we encourage that? One, we can provide opportunities for risk-taking. And two, we can encourage risk-taking. A very popular phrase Maria was known for saying was, never help a child with a task at which he feels he can succeed. As parents, teachers, caregivers, we must sit back and resist the urge to swoop in. This is when observation really comes in, which we also discussed in episode 21. Just try to step back, observe, and let them be. So what do we have to share on this topic, ladies? I love this topic. I think this is such an important one. And I jokingly have been at parks and playgrounds with you guys and have heard, you know, a little kid run past and say, I want to go to the sandbox and have the parent not far behind yelling, no, 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 you're going to get dirty. And I just always wish like we had a little business card, just like slip that parent to be like, you should check out why that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to get dirty. Now I get it, right? There are going to be scenarios in which the risky play that they want to engage in or the absolutely filthy task that they are drawn to is not realistic in that moment. It's not feasible for you to let that happen. Like the risky play is actually quite dangerous, right? Maybe they're trying to climb to the top of like a 40 foot structure and jump and like, no, you're not going to do that when you're two feet tall and three pounds. That's not a safe idea. However, There are going to be other times where it's not quite that severe and you kind of have to like weigh the risk there. Like what is worst case scenario if they were to fall down? How bad would it be if they did trip and scrape a knee? Can I be close enough to make sure that the worst case scenario doesn't happen, but that they can feel some level of consequence or some level of failure, really. And that's what it keeps. I feel like we come back to this a lot that as parents, we have this innate need to make sure that our kids never fail and they never feel any negative emotions, really. Failure is such a scary one for adults that I feel like we'd go out of our way to make sure our kids don't experience that. And that's not helpful to the kids. So sometimes with a risky play, you need to fall down. You need to get a little bit hurt. You know, you need to realize that like, oh, these are the these are the limits and boundaries of my body and my physical capabilities right now. Maybe I can work to keep practicing this skill so that I can push that limit and that boundary in a safe way. But if I'm not given that ability, I never will be able to, right? And so with the risky play that, again, that's one part of it is sometimes the risk is not realistic and you do have to intervene, but other times it's okay. It's okay if they're going to fall. It's okay. You know, as long as it's not a life-threatening injury or we're talking like bones breaking and stuff, then let them try. 
And then as far as the dirty part goes, again, I understand that there are certainly scenarios where like you're on your way to church, you're on your way to a wedding, whatever it is, like this is not a good time for you to be caked in mud, kid. I can't I can't have this happen. <laughs> but there are so many other – I feel like those incidents are so few and far between compared to the amount of times where really it's not a big deal. Throw an extra, you know, change of clothing in the diaper bag and the stroller or whatever it is and let them get a little muddy. Let them get wet. Let them get dirty because that right there is – Again, they're understanding natural consequences, right? So I'm wearing my flip-flops and I drag my feet through a mud puddle. My feet are muddy and wet and it feels yucky now. If I don't get a chance to experience that, then I'm not at any point going to understand why I have to wear rain boots for puddles. Those are those natural consequences that instead of having an adult tell you what's going to happen or warn you that you don't want this, let them experience that. And that's also one that's completely safe to experience. You got muddy feet, big deal. That's not killed anybody. And then, like I said, the other side of that is there will be times where that's not realistic. But for the most part, that's super okay. We as a society have kind of moved away from the times where you just were sent outside to play and your parent like locked the totally. door behind you yeah. so they could cook dinner in peace. Like I feel like we, I, I was like the last of those kids. And now- you have to be supervised. You have to be structured. It has to be play the way that the adult is dictating or the way that the adult set it up for you and under very certain circumstances and very, very safe scenarios. And I get all of that. Now, as a parent, I completely understand why we do that, why that that knee-jerk reaction comes that you said in the beginning. It's different now for parents, I feel like, than it was however many decades ago. But we have to find a happy medium. Like there have to be some opportunities somewhere in there to just let them play and get dirty and take risks and fall down and learn about their bodies and what they're capable of. No, I totally agree. I feel like, yeah, I get it. Like parenting is hard these days, like hard. And like imagining your child, toddler getting hurt because maybe you let them take that risk and then something happens. But like Laura said, that is okay. Yes, it's a lot and it may feel hard in that moment, but they're probably going to get up and want to go and do it again. So we we have to give them the opportunity. I feel like if you if you're not giving them the opportunity, they're never going to know and then when they do have that fall, it's going to break. Them. Yeah, I've seen this in my classroom like many times when a 15 month old comes in and then a lot of times they've just been like carried around and their feet have like never touched the floor. And then all of a sudden at school, like I can't carry them around. I have 11 other toddlers. Yeah. So then it's like, oh my gosh, they are, they're not enjoying their time because typically then if they want to be carried, there's kind of this mountain of cries for a little while until they get used to their feet on the ground, right? So we have to give them the opportunity to have their feet on the ground so that they have these experiences. Yeah, to trust their own bodies. It's such a vital part. Right. That little 15-month-old is coming in there and saying, I don't think I can do this. Like looking at all these bigger kids up through – you know, almost three who have been moving and walking for so much longer than they have and thinking, I can't do this. Like where's – Where's my adult to chauffeur me around everywhere and tell me what's safe? So yeah, that's tough. That's And that's really scary for them when they yeah. don't get those opportunities and then they're thrown into it. And then when they do take these risks, the exciting part is the reaction. Typically, once it happens a few times, but then they're able to climb up that ladder or they're able to swing independently in that swing without falling, that's when you see like that smile and that proud toddler just stands in front of you and just glows because they're so proud of themselves. And then as a parent, teacher, caregiver, you get that reinsurance and knowing, hey, I did the right thing, even though it was hard maybe in the moment, I did the right thing and I helped them take this next step and that supports their development, which of course is what we want to be happening. Oh my gosh, that I did it moment is just, that that is everything. (laughs) Uh That is everything. If they can sense that you don't trust them, then they don't learn to trust themselves. And I feel like so many of us as adults still struggle with that now. And it'd be interesting to know how many of us were 
picked up and carried over puddles and just, you know, protected, protected as much as our parents possibly could for as long as they possibly could until we got out of a bunch of sensitive periods and our brain started to think of things differently and everything felt so much scarier. I think what you said too is really important about the ability to let them fail and then get up and try again because I have caught myself assuming that if something was hard for my toddler, she would give up and walk away and that would be it. So like I probably should just intervene right at the right moment so that she stays interested in that task. And that has not been the case. Every time that I've been able to successfully sit on my hands and just observe and just let her do her thing and let her fall down or get stuck or get frustrated or whatever it is, I have been just floored to watch her then get back up, dust herself off and go right back to it. Like now it's personal. I am going to do this thing. I am not quitting until I've done this thing. And I just like, I beam watching that and thinking, girl, if you can keep that perseverance for the rest of your life, like you are so much further ahead already than I even ever was, you know, like I definitely was that kid where like things came easy to me. A lot of things came really easily to me. And so as soon as I came up against something that didn't, I was like, I quit. I'm done. This is scary. It's not, it's not easy. I shouldn't do it. Yeah. And I just never, ever, ever want her to feel that way. And I, and that, that groundwork is being laid right now and letting her have risky play, letting her get dirty, letting her feel natural consequences for her actions and then get back up and try again. Yeah, no, you you said it. Like it's happening right now. So, and I want to make a point to say too, the same risk a toddler's taking is not the same risk your 14-year-old is. T- right. So these are like very different things. Like very true. We're talking more about in that first few years of life to really about five or six is when we're really wanting them to just take these risks, to not be afraid to like take that next step when they want to experience something like Laura just said. Now, a 14-year-old, that's a whole nother realm and I am not at all, I'll let Laura speak to the older (laughs) age on that. I'm not at all developmentally trained in that area, but I just wanted to make that point. (laughs) You're not listening being like, oh, so I should let my 14-year-old do whatever they, no, that's not what we're saying. (laughs) Yeah, not at all. We would never say that. We also aren't saying to let your first plane of development child do whatever they want. Like I said, there are definitely are going to be parameters around risky play and when it's a good idea to be super filthy, dirty and wet and all that stuff. You're right, Rachel. It does look different in the second plane. However, a lot of that foundational messaging is absolutely the same. And you can do a lot of really similar things in sort of bolstering those skills if you feel like those skills haven't been bolstered up until that point. But we'll circle back to that. Let's give Megan a chance to jump in. She's back. So let's give Megan a chance to share in about what she wants to say about risky play and getting dirty, specifically in this first plane with these younger ages. And then we can circle back because, you know, what? we probably have some listeners that have older kids who may or may not right now be thinking, well, what does that look like at this age? Or, oh, if I haven't been doing that, like, how do I help? So I do want to come back to that. But let's give Megan a second. Megan, go ahead. Okay, I'm here. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back to me. Yes, I had to go drop off some things at my kid's school as soon as we started recording. So just like real mom moments. So I have no idea what you guys have been talking about, but I had actually found a New York Times article. Did you talk about this? No, No, but you always find articles. So thank you for that. You don't even need to know what we said because you're going to bring something completely (laughs) unique and helpful. So you just do your thing. And it was talking about how risky play builds resilience. Hmm. So it says Peter Gray, an evolutionary psychologist and researcher at Boston College who has studied how children educate themselves through play and exploration. So just side note, as Montessorians, we know, right, that children learn through the senses, back to this quote, argues that the opportunity for children to play outside with other children have decreased over the last 60 years, leading to rising rates of anxiety and depression among children and adolescents. Ooh. So I just thought, I mean, it says a lot of other things. You can go look at this. It's called Risky Play Encourages Resilience. And so not only, you know, the importance of sensory exploration of gross motor development and trusting your body, but the whole experience outside and learning to 
make mistakes and how to get back up after falling. And also just kind of the benefits of being outside are huge for anxiety and depression. Like there's a ton of studies about this. So we really can't go wrong, right? But something I was thinking about was that for us as parents, our anxieties really kind of narrate our experience and like what happened to us as children. So I feel like it can't just blanket say, encourage risky play because that looks different for everyone. Some parents are very anxious about this kind of thing. Say they had a huge injury when they were a child or they didn't have a lot of opportunities to be outside. Maybe they grew up in a city and so then they're out playing in the woods and they don't know just doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel familiar. So our experiences really shape how we view this. So I don't want to tell everyone like, go be riskier than you are. Some parents feel really comfortable, some don't. So my thoughts basically were, are you allowing your child to trust their own body? Are you allowing them to take enough risk that they can learn to make mistakes and get back up again. And what was the other thing I was thinking about? I think that's all. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that is all. (laughs) And that is the end. Um, No, it's not the end. But those were some of the things that I was thinking about because I know that a lot of my like childhood injuries really shape the way that I respond to certain things that my kids do. Like when I was younger, I had a something fall on my head while I was sleeping. I was sleeping on my parents' floor and they had this big, you know, those like phones that you put your finger in and you can dial them? Rotary phone. Yeah. Those are the best. Those are the best. Those are the coolest. So my mom had one like on her dresser and I had gotten scared one night and I came in and my parents had this like space in between their bed and the dresser and I would like bring a pillow and a blanket and like lay there when I would get scared. And while I was sleeping, I had gotten tangled up in the cord and the rotary phone fell on my head. Oh no. And I have a scar still. Okay. Not only were they so fun to play with, they're like a solid 400 pounds. They are so heavy. Everything then was a solid 400 pounds. Yeah, that's true. Like a cinder block falling on your head in the dead of sleep, just woken up to this thing falling on my head. Oh my God. And so now I am such a freak about anything being above my kids when they're sleeping. So like when we were doing stuff for the nursery, it's like nothing could be near the crib. Even like 10 feet is too close. Like what if it falls and sails across the room onto their forehead? (laughs) What if it levitates 10 feet to her forehead? Yeah. So for me, I feel like I have to think about, obviously we want to keep our kids safe. I saw something recently that said we want to keep our children as safe as we have to, not as safe as we can make them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's kind of what what I was saying earlier is that there are going to be scenarios in which the risky play that they want to engage in truly is too risky. Like it really is not safe. It could be a major injury. It could be life-threatening, right? And those would be the cases where sort of what you're saying, our job is to make sure that they're as safe as they have to be, right? Those would be have to be scenarios. It's just not realistic that they're not going to ever, ever take a risk. And if you painstakingly make sure that for the first however many years of their life, they don't ever find themselves in those scenarios, you're going to be in a lot more trouble once they're big enough and strong enough to be far enough away from you that you're not there to make sure that they are so crazy coddled safe anymore. Right. And we want them to be developmentally, like when we talk about gross motor skills and fine motor skills, you know, it's risky at first. Like we have little toddlers that can barely walk, you know, going down the stairs is nerve wracking and they're learning to coordinate their movements. We know this in Montessori, right? Without the freedom to practice and the freedom to move, it will always be risky. Yeah, those skills just will not get developed. Exactly. So it's one of those things that goes through each plane, you know, when our babies are rolling, when our toddlers are learning to walk, they keep falling down. When our older children are climbing a ladder or, you know, going down the slide, all of those things pose some kind of risk. And it also develops their coordination and their body. So those things become less risky over time. I know for me, 
like my son right now going down the stairs is always like just a little nerve wracking. You have to hold your breath. He doesn't quite have that. Like he yeah. might go down perfectly. He might go down go first. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Quickly, I did want to mention because I've seen it circulating a lot, the whole be careful thing. Can I talk about that for a second? Oh, yeah. Like not saying be careful. Yes. Yeah. So the school of thought is that the phrase be careful, which I just want to say, I say it all the time. Can't help it. I heard it my whole life. It's so hard not to say it. It's ingrained. Yeah. You, if you hear it your whole life, it is just exactly, Rachel. It's ingrained. That's just how we express ourselves. And so I just want to say, first of all, like, if you're saying that, no shame, I say it all the time. But the whole idea is that be careful is not necessarily helpful. It's not specific. You know, if you say to your child, be careful, like, what does that even mean? Right. In what way am I supposed to be being careful right now? Yeah. Does that mean stop? Does that mean like, it's just, we've talked about this before, instead of no, stop it, you know, we We've talked about giving alternatives and things that you can do and trying to be as specific as possible about that. And so the whole idea of be careful, the alternatives. Do you guys have some good alternatives to be careful? Yeah. So I also recently saw a post that was like, we don't say be careful in our house and just kind of went right to the bottom line wrap up, which is that if you find that you are constantly telling a toddler, be careful, be careful, be careful, you are accidentally giving the message that the world is unsafe and scary and you should be like on high alert at all times. But you're not really giving them any action items for how to navigate the fact that sometimes the world is scary and unsafe. So I like to say other things like watch your balance or I'll tell her like look at your feet. It depends on what the issue is. If, right. the, if the risky play is that she's on the edge of something and she could fall off of it, then I might be cueing her to watch where her feet are, hold on tight with her hands, you know, check your balance, feel your balance in your body, things that she can understand instead of just, oh, be careful. Yes. You're not saying you should be scared right now. You're saying here's how you can succeed at this risky behavior. Exactly. Here are some tools to empower you to get through this scenario safely. I love it. Again, it depends on the scenario. If we're playing at the beach and she keeps going to the water, I might stop her and say, look at the water. It's moving very fast. It's very strong. We have to make sure that we are in control of our bodies and you're staying near mommy and holding on to an adult because the ocean can pull. Do you feel it pulling? You know, and I'll like explain to her and let her experience why. What is the unsafe part of this scenario? And so how do I navigate that? Because I don't want her to just shut down in unsafe kind of sketchy feeling scenarios. I want her to have the tools to get through them. So that comes with, like you said, very specific and direct messaging about, well, what do I want you to do? Yeah. I think it depends too in the situation they're in, but I think typically I say watch your body because typically if he's doing something risk-taking, his body is involved in that obviously. So watch your body and then more in detail of whatever I see happening and how to help him through that. I also want to speak to one thing Laura mentioned earlier when we were kind of taking a little break. One big thing that I'm like, I really push as a teacher in my classroom is even though we want them to take the risk, we don't want to put them in a situation they can't get themselves out of. So let's say I go to the park and he really wants to get on the monkey bars. Well, he can't reach the monkey bars. So I'm not going to pick him up and put him on the monkey bars because he can't do that independently. Now, if he can climb up the ladder and then reach to something higher and kind of hang on one and then get down successfully independently, I'm all for that. That's taking a risk just in that climbing up, reaching all the phases of that. But actually me not letting him do anything else and just picking him up from the ground, putting him on the monkey bars and then pulling him back down. If I didn't pull him back down, then more than likely he would fall. He didn't get himself up there. So his body doesn't know how to get himself back down. And Laura even said, she's heard me all the time, like, if, if you can't do that, I'm sorry, I can't help your body do that. Because I'm like, nope, I'm not going to put you in a situation that you can't successfully get yourself out of. 
Yeah, I had we paused earlier for a second to let you jump back in. And I had said to Rachel, like, I definitely want to bring this one up because it's something that I am inspired to remember all the time when I'm with her is that if your kid cannot get themselves into that situation, then they most likely are not going to be able to get themselves out of it. And the risk just skyrocketed, especially when they're old enough to ask for help. I constantly find myself giving into that. Mm -hmm. So like my daughter will ask, mommy, help me get to here. Mommy, put me up there. And I'm like, okay, I'll pick her up, put her up there because I want her to try this scary, risky thing, right? And then I just have to hover there because I also know that I just put her in a place that's a little bit above her capabilities. So like, I'm just going to make sure she's okay. A better way to approach that would be what Rachel is doing, which is to say, I'm not going to put you up there. If you can get your body up there, you can play there. If you can't get your body up there, then you're not ready for that work yet or that experience yet. And we'll try again when you're a little bit bigger and you're ready. I love that so much. Right? Then she gets to stand 10 feet away and have a conversation with me instead of hovering and waiting to catch him Yeah, because she didn't just put him in a situation that he can't get into or out of by himself. And she's giving him that messaging of there's a scaffolding. There are these levels of capability that you will grow into. Mm -hmm. They have to learn a little bit of patience. They have to learn a little bit of self-discipline in that moment. There's just, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on in saying, I'm not going to put you there. You have to put yourself there. Yeah. I mean, and it just, it, that is part of the philosophy, right? We, it starts from when our children are babies yep. that we wouldn't put them in a seated position if they can't sit, you know, we're not going to have them walk in one of those exercises, yeah. those things that you sit them in and they walk if they're not able to walk yet. Again, we've talked about this. If this is something you use, you're not ruining your child. Per this philosophy, that's something that Maria Montessori believed, Magda Gerber, all of those people who are part of this kind of philosophy of free movement for children. So it starts from that time. And then in the classroom, right, there are things available and they're always on the shelves. Children get to see the older children using them. That doesn't mean that they're ready. Yep. Right. But they get to see when I put in the work, that's where I'm going. This is what's coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is what's ahead of me. Yeah. And when I'm when I'm ready, that's something I get to do. And it's really cool. But also like you said, Laura, there's so much discipline there. And yeah, I love that because it just something that I think we strive to do in this podcast is bring what we would do in the classroom home. And that's a perfect example of what we would do in the classroom and how we can apply that philosophy with our own children at home. And I love it so much. And I need to practice it because I haven't been and I like that a lot. Yeah, real talk. It's not something that I, it's something I would have done flawlessly in the classroom. If I had a first, second, third grader come up to me and say, hey, can you put me up on the monkey bars? I'd be <laughs> like, no, buddy, I can't do that for you. You have to get up there yourself. But when my two and a half year old says, mommy, help me to the monkey bars. I'm like, wow, I'm so proud of you for asking. Of course, <laughs> I want you to try this fun thing. Monkey bars are fun. I'm just having a freaking heart attack the whole time. You got a brand new six-year-old who's never been in a Montessori school before and they came up to you and said, I want to do those beads and tubes over there. Right. We would never do that. We would never put them in a situation where they wouldn't succeed or at least have the opportunity to be successful. Because again, one of my favorite things about the Montessori philosophy is there's not an attachment, an emotional attachment to failure, which I just love so much. Like, you know, there's so much more about the process than about the end result. When a child gets a problem wrong, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. To figure Let's go it look out. at the beads. Like, it's not this red mark on your paper. You got 17 out of 20. Now go do it 10 more times, you know? Yeah. I think that it's just a really cool way to have the risk be manageable for them. So it's not just risky play, go throw yourself off of a structure, go climb as tall as you can. It's about if they can get themselves into that position, most likely they can get themselves out of that position because we are not interfering, mm -hmm. which again is so huge in what we talk about all the time. So Thank you for bringing that up, Rachel. I feel like this is a good time to, Megan, you can help me out with talking about a little bit of what this might look like in that second planar development, because, you know, we just alluded to getting six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, and this can continue up through upper elementary mm -hmm. too, up through the age of 12, where they have not really had a lot of opportunities yet. So now they're being thrown to the wolves at school with their crazy Montessori teacher saying, figure it out. Yeah. And 
it's all completely foreign. So do you feel like you have any tips or suggestions for parents out there with kids in that second plane of development who might be thinking right now, hmm, this is not something that we've had a lot of experience in. How can I make this accessible to my child? So obviously, it's going to look a little bit different than some of these toddler scenarios. Yeah, I mean, so there's, we've talked about if you want to know more about these different planes of development, we have episodes on them. But we talked about how the first plane is very physical, sensorial. It's about movement. And the second plane is a lot more intellectual. So within the second plane, I feel like those risks, obviously, it's always important to move your body. Obviously, it's always important to do those things. But I feel like in the second plane, the risk taking is a lot more emotional and a lot more intellectual. What do you think about that, Laura? Yeah, I think actually, if I could go back to Rachel's intro, one of the examples that you gave from that intro that I think works really well into how risk plays out in the second plane is you mentioned ordering for yourself at a restaurant. So I think that the risk now in the second plane is much more social. Yeah. It's a social risk. How do I put myself out there mm -hmm. as a person? I want to be accepted by my peers. How do I engage with people? How do I find my place? Right. And that feels so scary and risky. Yeah. There's a good chance they're a little more physically stable and that a lot of the things that as a toddler, whether or not you gave them the opportunities at some point, they found opportunities and have figured it out and are feeling much more confident about kind of the physical aspect of it. Now the risk is pretty social and emotional. And so like you gave an example of you now have serious math work, right? You have long mm -hmm. division problems and you might get some of them wrong. And I have had countless students where that felt like crippling. Like I, I'm not even going to try if there's a chance I'm going to get it wrong. So sort of giving those opportunities to see that I can take a risk and I can fail and I can get back up and dust myself off and giving them little opportunities. Like we're going to go out to a restaurant. I know that you want pancakes for breakfast. Why don't you practice with me telling me what you're going to tell the waitress when she comes to, to ask you what you would like? I would like pancakes, please. And say it with me a couple of times. And, and maybe when the waitress comes, it still feels really scary and they kind of freeze up. And you just like, you don't lose your patience. You don't just talk over them. Oh, she wants pancakes. You know, like you say, okay, we practice this. What would you like to do? Would you like toast? Would you like eggs? Would you like pancake? Maybe giving some forced choice questions where like they have to at least tell you one of those things is what they want until they're getting to the point where they can just loudly and confidently say, I would like pancakes because they've had the chance to do that and see that like nothing's going to happen to me. I'm not going to be hurt. The waiter or waitress isn't going to attack me or judge me for my order. And that's something you can start too in the first plane. Like I love taking my toddler out to a restaurant and practicing with her what she wants and then having her confidently announce what she would like. And everybody in the restaurant's like, oh my God, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. As she declares, I would like pancakes, please, with blueberries. But that those are all things that carry into that second plane. That's It feels more like a social risk, but that's where they're at. That's the, that's the most important thing for them is figuring out where they fit in society. And so you have to take some risks yeah. to find your place. Yeah. yeah. And then that plane is so much big work. I mean, you might notice with your child, everything they want to do is big. They want to do the most of everything. I think that obviously we want them to have the opportunity and our role as the adult, I believe with that plane is to not squash their ideas, which is really hard because sometimes they have some wild ones, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and so I think as as adults, we're tired. Maybe we have answered a million questions that day and we just kind of want to squash whatever they're wanting to do. And I think it's a lot about letting that confidence grow and it's going to happen. You know, one of the things that we know about those planes of development is that these characteristics are, there's nothing your child can do about it. They will display these characteristics. And so we can let those ideas and those, those urges that they have flourish by either encouraging them or guiding them. You know, maybe we can't do it that way, but maybe we can do it this way. And, and, helping guide those interests in a way that builds that confidence so that they're more likely to take those risks. 
not just emotionally and socially, but also intellectually. Like this is a time where they're really interested in a lot of things. And the more they know about the world, the more that they feel connected to the world, the more confidence that they have. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the second plane. I love it. And I hope I hope that we've done a good job of giving a very realistic approach to how we handle risky play and getting, again, we didn't talk as much about getting dirty. That's pretty straightforward. That's also another one of those things that if you have a kid, you understand at this point, it's damn near impossible to avoid it (laughs) happening. And so I guess our words of encouragement there, yeah, just let it happen. It's okay. There's so many battles that you have to choose. That is not one of them. I mean, that's a big trigger for a lot of people though. I know for us, personally, like mess is not a huge thing for me. Like I'm fine with them running out in puddles, getting in the mud, you know, smearing yogurt on their face. Like it's all fine for me. I know that's not true for everybody. And so it's the same thing for risky play. So what I want to say is wherever you're at, like this is Montessori, right? Wherever you are at personally, challenge yourself maybe to take down some of your own personal barriers if they're not necessary and allow your child to go maybe a little further than you feel comfortable with and manage those anxieties in yourself but that's different for everybody, right? So yeah. it's not like go let your child do the things that make you feel wildly uncomfortable, but maybe just maybe inch towards that a little bit. Scaffold yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Meet yourself where you're at. That's yeah. what we always say with the kids is meet them where they're at. And don't judge yourself. If you're not that parent that wants their child to climb a tree and scrape their knee and cover themselves in mud, maybe you can start by going on a nature walk. And see how that feels, you know, maybe let them play with a stick and see how that feels. So be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. And I also will say just one more thing too. You can sort of prepare for these scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. So I never leave home without in my diaper bag. We have a pocket full of Band-Aids a wipe to like wipe off if we're bleeding, if we have a cut, um, probably a little thing, a hand sanitizer, just in case we it's touch like something first like aid kit. really, yeah, like a little first aid kit. Because- we have a first aid kit in ours. That's a huge one. If you're having a baby, yeah. put that on your registry, yep. a diaper bag, first aid kit, little mobile first aid yeah. kit. And lots of extra clothes. Yes, that was going to be my other thing is whether it's injury or just getting super dirty, maybe an extra pair of clothes, maybe an extra pair of shoes, just, you know, pack for yourself to be able to get through that scenario without it being super stressful. Because I will admit, if my kid dives headfirst into a massive body-sized puddle at a park, we're not home, right? We're not just in the backyard, so I can't just strip her down on the deck. I do immediately feel anxiety about the idea of loading her into the car and the car seat, super filthy. And now I have to wash the freaking car seat. And like, I, as a Montessorian, I don't love that, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I just prepare for that kind of scenario so that if we find ourselves in it, it's not the end of the world. We can go pop into the park bathroom. We can change. She can, at this point, Point because band-aids are such a staple of everywhere we go, she can go open her own band-aid and apply it to her own self. You know, like I'll help her wash off the little cut, but then we're good. We're prepared. We're ready. It's no big deal. So I guess that's kind of part of that prepared environment, right? Yeah. Is if you're going to go out into the mm-hmm. environment, be prepared for be prepared. what could happen out there. And then it doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. Yeah. It's like, well, great. Now you're covered in sand and water and I don't even know what to do with you. Or you fell and you're bleeding and we're 15 minutes from home. Be prepared. Yeah. It provides you the opportunity to feel prepared to do that work. And your child's prepared to do that work. And like you have some control in the situation Mm -hmm. because there's a good chance if this feels really scary and sounds awful to you, a good part of that is your lack of control. Mm -hmm. And so do things for yourself that can give you some of that control back. I love that because we are just giving some practical practical tips today. I we don't always so. do that. Gosh, it's so much better. So also editors note, we are recording in the morning and not at the end of the day when we are just Sweet like Michelle. full of ideas. <laughs> Zest for life. <laughs> I'm feeling zesty. I still am going to have to go nurse a baby though. So can we, should we hop into confession? Can we, should we? Yeah. You guys start. We I should. really have to go I to the bathroom. I've had so much coffee this morning. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. You do that. Why don't you go first then, Rachel? Why don't you? Okay. So let's finish the show out with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. 
I just had to say that because Megan was supposed to, but she walked away to pee. She's literally running to the bathroom. So um, my confession this week, this isn't really funny. This is this is just me being an honest mom. Yesterday, my toddler was super exhausted when he came home from school, like super exhausted. So I had his lunch like laid out. I was prepared. We're going to get him in bed as soon as possible so he can rest. I knew I had a nurse close to one or so. So I was like, okay, okay. I got like, I had my timeline because I knew she would wake up and be hungry. Well, of course that, that doesn't work out. So everything in the world was wrong. Everything. My toddler unzipped his sleep sack, crawled out of his crib, took off his underwear and pull up and peed on the floor while looking at the camera monitor in his bedroom, <laughs> waving at me while I'm like hey, mom. right across the hall in the nursery nursing. So I lost my cool and I slammed the door and I got really, I was really frustrated. He was like, I'm frustrated. I was like, I'm frustrated too. And I slammed the door and I lost my cool and it didn't feel good. And of course I texted Megan and Laura and I was like, ugh, but seriously, how, like my toddler did this. Like I had to step back and laugh too. Cause like seriously the whole entire time he's looking at the camera when he's doing it. I also know he can successfully crawl out of his crib. He doesn't, this is only the second time he's done it. And it's been during the day. We're transitioning to a bed soon. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't you judge do what me. You have to do honestly. I have, I my, I vowed that until my youngest child was sleeping through the night, I was not going to do. A well, she bed. is not sleeping through the night, but I think I'm going to have to do it. Yeah, and I mean, I could see you getting frustrated. You're so tired. You have a little baby, and <laughs> yeah, that's really hard, Rachel. We had that same situation, so I have to put my daughter's sleep suit on backwards. Yeah, that's the first time I haven't done that, and he obviously pulled one on me. Yeah, anyone <laughs> out there, if your child is climbing out of their crib and they're not ready or you're not ready, put that sleep suit on backwards. Works like a charm. Yeah, I did that last night, and he did not come out of it. So anyways, it's it's kind of funny. It's not really funny for me, but it was very clever of him to, like, look at the camera and smile the entire time and then literally, like, <laughs> very successfully pee, like, not just in one spot, but, like, curving his hips oh, all oh, over yeah. the rug like a little boy piece so painted the carpet painted with urine carpet. yeah okay what's everybody else got so this is like half my Sharon and half my confession because I didn't get to Sharon so I'm just really efficient like that so everyone knows that Crocs are like the cool toddler shoe right <laughs> and we're like a Crocs family because we're really cool and my husband wears his Crocs and he also wears socks with them. Garrett does too. It's like, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, we all have them except for my son, which I've talked about. Poor child. He gets all the hand-me-downs and so he doesn't have anything for himself. So my father-in-law said, I'm going to go take him out and I'm going to get him some Crocs because all the kids in his class have Crocs. Like he's just... He's, he doesn't have Crocs like everybody else. So he was like, I'm going to go take him to go get some Crocs. So he takes them to the shoe store and he comes back and he's super excited. He's wearing his new Crocs. And I look at them and on the back, it says Skechers. And I was like, these are not Crocs. And immediately I was like, you have to take these back. And he was like, I mean, it's fine. They look exactly, they look exactly the same. <laughs> and so I immediately had flashbacks to my trauma <laughs> of when I was younger, I really wanted Heelys. Oh, yeah, with the wheels yeah, built in. Yeah, yeah, which I'm aging myself, but yeah. I actually saw a kid with those the other day when I was eating breakfast, cool and I now? haven't seen them since middle they're school. They're still anyway, around? Still wow. around, yeah. I guess. So they're like those skater shoes, and then the wheel, you can put it in your heel. Is it Heelys or Wheelies? It's Heelys, right? Heelys, yeah. You put it Heelys. in the heel, and you can ride around on your heels, and you look super cool. And so I really wanted them, and I asked for them for Christmas. And my parents, being the just financially responsible, responsible, there's the word, <laughs> humans that they are, they got me Skechers. Now, these clodhoppers did not <laughs> – <laughs> they had – so instead of like – so with the Heelys, you can take them out, right? And then you can walk around like they're normal shoes. The yeah. Skechers, they had hinges and the wheels stayed inside and you had to like unhinge them out. And then there was a front and a back. So they were kind of like 
rollerblades, like with four wheels. So they weighed 7,000 pounds and they were the, they were like platforms because the wheels had to live in there at all times. And then you could just like pull them out. So I had these platform shoes and I was humiliated to go to school with these sketchers. And I mean, now looking back, I'm just, you know, it's just a spoiled little brat. But <laughs> at the time though, so traumatic. It is like you just want to look like everyone else and you want to have the same stuff as everybody else. And back then I didn't know how influential I am as a human. <laughs> Probably could have made sketchers a thing. And anyway, so I just had flashbacks and I'm sorry, Sketchers, you can sponsor this podcast. <laughs> I have. I'm getting over wow. my childhood trauma. You did a big 180 in this confession. <laughs> it started with, you need to take these back right away, Sketchers, not in my home. And now it's, okay, Sketchers, you can sponsor our <laughs> podcast. We love you. Also, I'm really powerful influencer and I'll get everybody wearing <laughs> your platform roller skate shoes so if you want. I, you know, not just Sketchers. I will also take uh, sponsorship from Heelys and Crocs. Yeah, I like that. You really covered your bases here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool footwear. footwear. Who's going to be the footwear sponsor of Montessori Moms in the podcast? In the podcast, I can't talk. <laughs> anyway, okay. I don't want to. You go. I don't want. Yeah, talk I'm just going to go ahead and take over now. So <laughs> I'm going to help you out. Mine's pretty short. It's it's it came to me this morning on the drive to school with my child because I actively sought out this playlist without her asking for it. So have you ever heard any of the music from Gracie's Corner? Yes. Yeah? I don't know. I should have looked it up before I started this confession. I don't it might I'm not sure if it's a show or if it's I think just it's a show. It it must be a show. I'm guessing it's a show, but it looks like it's a YouTube channel. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't care who you are. That shit slaps. <laughs> Gracie's music is so good. It's so good. It has like, it's got a beat. It's got layers. It's just like, it. she takes every single one of the classic kid songs that you listen to a thousand times and want to like drive off the road and makes it fun. Like she just- it's, so it's a not Coco Melon playlist. It's, oh my God. Don't even freaking come at me with Coco Melon. I refuse. Yeah. I refuse to do Coco Melon. It's a baby's bag. Rachel's got to do a little nursing. This is just a very real mom cast. Megan has to go bring backup clothes to school. Rachel has to nurse a baby. I am admitting that I willingly now drive around to children's music. That slaps. That slaps, though. The Gracie's Corner versions of all of the classic songs. Plus, she's got a couple originals in there. Wheels on the Bus, dude. Hell yeah. I would listen to that on repeat per Gracie's version. Okay. I'm going to add this to my playlists. Please do. Please do. So I'm a big fan of, I did not grow up with him, but have gotten on the Raffi train. Raffi's fun. Totally. Mm-hmm. Also did not grow up with, but now love Lori Berkner band. Totally. And my new addition, which is totally different from the other two, because the other two also are much more of your sort of cliche children. I mean, they're, they're fun. They have lots of instruments. They're definitely well-written songs. But Gracie's Corner is where it's at. We are now bumping those kids' Should songs. Should we be sponsored by Gracie's Corner? Is that possible? Gracie, are you out there? Do you want to sponsor us? (laughs) Can we get paid for this confession? But yeah, that's it. That's my confession is go check out my confession slash advice is go check out Gracie's Corner. You're welcome. And if you don't like it, I don't even want to hear about it. Don't talk to me about it. My advice is to go buy yourself and your whole family some Crocs. (laughs) Or Sketchers or Heelys. Please do not forget (laughs) that we have all these potential sponsors now. Yeah, I'm just like begging for money today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rachel would like to be sponsored by any kind of carpet cleaning service. If you're a, what are they called? Stanley Steamer. If you're Stanley Steamer, if you work for Stanley Steamer, go out there and tell your boss it's time to sponsor this. Something cleaner. Okay, well, we just butchered that, but pretty sure we're still totally in the running for a sponsorship there. So, anyway, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> we're done. We're done here. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, review, and rate. 
For more of our content, you can follow us at Montessori Moms in the Wild on Instagram or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. Bye.